Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. What you bless blesses you back. What you claim the inherent divinity in will move to resonance with you. And that's often quite physical through this teaching. And also they say what you damn damns you back, which is what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. Hi, I'm Mark Groves. I'm a human connection specialist and founder of Create the Love. At an early point in my life, I became obsessed with understanding relationships, the intricacies of how people connect. And through this exploration, I have created a life and a business dedicated to learning out loud and exploring how we interact with each other and the world. This podcast brings the world's top thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, physicians, scientists, researchers, best-selling authors, and health and wellness experts under one roof to discuss the good, the bad, the messy, and of course, the beautiful parts of the human experience. Welcome to the Mark Groves Podcast. I can't wait to dive in with you. Hello and welcome. I'm excited to be joined today by Paul Selig. Paul is a psychic, a teacher, an award-winning author of many channeled texts, a medium, a channel, and you have a master's degree from Yale. And I I didn't know this, but you served on faculty at NYU for 25 years directing the MFA in creative writing program. Yeah, that was at a different school at Goddard College. I ran the MFA, but yeah, I was an academic. I'm very excited to have you on because I found your work through Aubrey Marcus and I listened to you channel and I thought, okay, that's, I've never heard anything like this before because I just felt some very deep resonance with your words. And then I read the book of mastery and then the book of truth both had an incredible impact on me. And the book of truth is actually the words that you and your guide spoke in that, had me quit drinking, had me just come to so many awarenesses. I, I would say accept so many awarenesses. So thank you for your work. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. What is the origin story of, or have you always been able to channel and, and all that kind of stuff? No, I, I was raised sort of an atheist and I was not somebody who put a lot of stock in channeling. I think I read half of a Seth book when I was in grad school, which is many, many years ago. And I thought it was really interesting, but I didn't stick with it. 
I started opening up when I was 25. When I quit drinking, actually, I'd heard a voice telling me to get my act together, and I did. And that was, you know, kind of the first voice of now what is something consistent in my life. So I started opening up, and I studied a form of energy healing that I had been introduced to. And I was volunteering at a center for people who were living with life-challenging illnesses in New York City, and it was the height of the AIDS epidemic then, so there was this need. And I found that when I had my hands on people's bodies, I could hear things for them. So, and I'm not hearing with my ears, it's just like a thought that interrupts all my thoughts that makes no sense to me, you know, that I don't have context for. And as the people that I was working with began to verify the information that I was getting, I began to trust it. And then I started a little group that met in my apartment in New York for about 18 years, really. So I sat in a circle for about 18 years, and I was more interested in the energy that was coming through when I worked. The teachings, as as we have them now, didn't start coming through in lecture form until much later, I think I was 48, when I realized they were now lecturing through me in these long passages. And once that began, then the book started. Once I became willing to record and then transcribe the lectures, they said, we have a book to write, and if you take two weeks, we'll do it. And that was the first of now 10 books. I think the 10th book is coming out in September. And all of the books are just the unedited transcripts of the sessions. I mean, I don't go back and rewrite them. You know, we punctuate and we, you know, transcribe very carefully against the recordings. And that's what's what's out in the world. So I look at what I do as stenography. The psychic stuff came with the channeling work, but I didn't really knew I didn't really know what I was able to do until I was doing it. And that's this that's the case with all this stuff. I made no sense all of a sudden I'm doing something that I didn't understand that I then had to learn to understand. So my work as a psychic is they call it me a medium for the living. I can step into people that I've not met and hear them, you know, and sometimes begin to resemble them. It's a It's a form of clairsentience and clairaudience. So if you ask about your sister, who you're estranged from, and I step into your sister, I can often hear what the challenge is, what the problem is, what she's needing. I can go to you, find out where you're at, what you're needing. It's like I'm brokering conversations on other levels. So when I hear my guides, I'm just tuned into their radio station. You know, when I tune into clients, I'm tuned into theirs. And I think of myself kind of as a radio, and what I do is be in broadcast and listen and interpret when I have to. There's no interpretation in the channeling. That's all direct stenography, spoken stenography, because I don't write anything. When I work with people individually, you know, if you show me a tennis racket, I'll say, I'm seeing a tennis racket. And you're saying, yeah, I play tennis. I go, okay, great. You know, it's like that. It's really interesting. I'm curious how you begin to make sense of these things moving through you, like these voices. I I would imagine a lot of people have connection to this type of conversation, maybe not able to write. (laughs) Like, I think it's nuts when I listen to your books that I'm listening to something that is just continuously being spoken that then gets directly transcribed. It's it's bananas. Yeah. And you can actually a lot of from the last books because when the first books were being delivered, they were I was recording on CD in the last, I don't know, six or seven books. We moved everything is recorded on video now. So a lot of the initial 
transmissions are up on YouTube for the later are in the books and you can see how it comes out. It's not polite. It's not, I'm not sitting there in a Lotus position, you know, (laughs) Oh, and this is what you need to do. I'm like in it, taking the dictation. It's a very physical phenomenon. I'm hearing phrases, you know, I hear phrase, 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 phrase that when they're all put together, they make sense, but I don't hear the larger sentence or paragraph. I hear it as it's all coming. So, you know, initially I was, I was always hearing for other people. And initially I was hearing fragments. So if I had my hands in your chest and I heard the name Arthur, I learned to say, who's Arthur? And you might say my father, my lover, my dog, my best friend who died, you know, it was like that. I'm like, okay. Mm -hmm. So that's how I started to trust it because there would be energy that would move. And I was unblocking people that were stuck. You know, mm-hmm. and we're holding old stuff that needed to move. And in the initial group, I was hearing directions for energetic attunements or transfers, really. So we'd be sitting in a, in a circle and I, and I would hear, you know, everybody receive a hand on your forehead and the whole room would go bang. It was like Beetlejuice, you know, going, what the heck is this? And that, but it was so physical and tangible and we all felt it. And that helped me to trust it. And it was all very loving and, you know, very clear. When I had been a very heavy smoker, and when I quit smoking at 48, and my guide said, you got to, you know, if you want to, we want to keep working with you, but you're going to have to deal with this. And I did. I like quit like the next day. I was a four pack a day guy. So it was something. But when that was out of my system is when the lectures began and what now, how I now work. And it's just been a process of my getting out of the way continually and then learning to acclimate to how this works and how to stay clear. That's it. What do you believe or or feel as the guide's messages keep, I guess, evolving? What do you feel about the evolution of it and the message they're really trying to convey? Well, it's funny because I, I think they've been very consistent in all of their teachings. And I think the very first book that was dictated through me and I think 2009 was published in 2010. It's called I Am the Word. That in some ways I think is the primer for where they're going, although I didn't understand it at the time. They're really talking about the realization of what they call the divine self or the monad or the true self or the Christ itself. There's all these different names for it. They all mean the same thing with that spark of the divine in us that they say seeks realization as and through us and how this is done is their teaching. And it's an energetic teaching about alignment and energetic coherence. So they say the world that we're living now is the world that we're in coherence with. And it's a world that's very entangled and fraught and polluted by fear and that we're born into that. So we grow up expecting it. And much of what we see has a basis in fear and we just accept it as it is. And they're moving us to a level of vibrational accord. They call this place the upper room, which is a level of consciousness, what they call it, where fear isn't operative. And consequently, what you begin to create at that level, how you begin to experience a life is very different because it's not so entrenched, you know, as we have known it in the old way. So it's a teaching of realization and manifestation. It's not about getting what you want and what you think you should have. It's really probably a mystical teaching on, I don't like, I don't like the, you know, words like embodiment and, and ascension are bandied about a lot. 
And I guess that's what they're teaching, but it's, um, this isn't sort of fuzzy, new agey, feel good stuff necessarily. It's challenging work, you know, and they're, they're moving us to a new basis really of operating. And they're saying, we're all going through this now. The entire planet's going through this. It's just uncomfortable because we're, we're letting go of what we've known of and the new has yet to fully be formed and claimed. Yeah, there's no doubt that it seems like we're in a collective discomfort. Based on the time of year and what's going on in the world, I am all about making sure that my immune system is operating at its best. I want to make sure that it is in tip-top shape so that whatever it might meet, it is able to fight off. And so one of the ways I do that is I use Organifi Immunity. It's 100% organic. It's got 500% of your recommended daily dose of vitamin C, and that vitamin C is sourced from organic cherries. It contains the immune-boosting power of ginger, turmeric, and also zinc. It is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, all of those things, and as I said, 100% organic, and it also has a vegan source of D3 from lichen moss, and that provides 1,000 international units of vitamin C, which is 188% of our daily recommended dose. Vitamin D is so important to modulate innate and adaptive immunity. So if you're interested in giving your immune system a boost and a little bit of extra oomph in order to fight off what might come towards you this season, check out Organifi.com slash create the love. You get 20% off anything you order from there. They have such incredible products. I love them as a brand. I love them as a culture. I love them as a company. Go check them out now. Like the words that really made me face and quit drinking was your body can only alchemize the lowest level of truth you're willing to hold or it's capable of holding. And then you go on to discuss is it okay do i say you or do i say the guy they, well, they i mean i remember a bit of what they say i don't remember much i bet i mean they they yeah. put quite a few thousand words through you um yeah. but they went on to say that you essentially like what truths do you know that you're not living and for me that was that i needed alcohol to connect and there's a reference to it's like being a fish in an aquarium who learns about the ocean and then goes back to the aquarium. All of these things put together, I just realized like, you know, my personal passion, like work about myself has always been as soon as I'm aware of something, I have to change it, you know, because knowledge, if not integrated, it, it doesn't become wisdom really till you integrate it. The words that are often repeated throughout it, I know who I am in truth, I know what I am in truth, and I know how I serve in truth. Even as I say them, there's a resonance to them. And I'm curious, what is it essentially, like my interpretation of what continues to be invited of me is, is alignment, alignment with highest self, alignment with highest truth, alignment with all these voices that we tend to silence. So yeah, I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, it's an attunement. I know who I am in truth. I know what I am in truth. I know how I serve in truth. And initially it came through, I know who I am, what I am, how I serve. And they added in truth when they were dictating Book of Truth, because they say in truth, a lie will not be held. In the vibrational field of truth, you can't kind of resort to I think what the personality structure would seek to claim, which is, well, I'm an athlete or I'm, you know, a mother, or I, you know, as the, as the basis for being, those are ways we might experience ourselves, but they're not who we are in truth. 
the claim who I know who I am in truth. First of all, the guides say knowing is realization. To know something is to realize it. And it's an invocation and attunement. And the guides say all of the attunements are encoded energetically to support a vibrational shift, which is why people feel them when they invoke them. And when you do them with a group, you can, the energy goes through the roof and you can do it with a partner and you can claim it for one another. I know who you are in truth. You can feel the energy as it's worked with. So I know who I am. I realize who I am. And that's not who I am, say, as Mark or the idea of Mark. I know who I am as the true self or the aspect of that's incarnated as Mark to realize its divinity. So I know who I am, they say, is invoked at that level. I know what I am. I know, so who is identity? I know what I am is expression. And expression, as the guides teach it, is form. So, I mean, I know what I am is the manifest self. I didn't say that well. I know what I am in truth is I know what I am in form, how I'm expressed in form. I know how I serve is how I'm expressed as the true self, who I am, what I am in expression in the world. It's how I'm serving is by being the true self. Now, when this attunement first came through, it was in this little group I had in my apartment. We were trying to understand it. We all kind of got, I know who I am, which we sort of got what that meant because they'd done this whole teaching of the word, the energy of the creator in action, and they would have us work with that in invocation. I know what I am. We just sort of figured that meant, well, in our lives. And I know how I serve because we were all living in New York. We all thought, well, that must be what we do for a living, you know? And it wasn't, you know, it really wasn't either of those things. Um, people still think the guides will, you know, take questions. I do live streams, but people say, how, I want to know how I serve as if they're looking for an action that they can take. And the guides say, well, the true self knows and the small self, the personality self thinks, and the true self in expression is how you serve. So when you're expressing at the level of the true self, you're already enacted in service by nature of being. That doesn't mean you necessarily open up a Reiki clinic or you know you become a coach. There's a lot of clinics, there's a lot of coaches, nothing wrong with those things, but how you serve is how you show up and how you be in the world. And then what you do from that level of consciousness will in likelihood be of service. And it doesn't matter whether you're a bank teller or a mechanic or you're the crossing guard, you know, for the school. I mean, they're all ways of being expressed. So it's a claim of embodiment. I know who, identity, what form and service expression. And they say, and this was interesting too, because they begin to teach, I know what I am in truth, as, as its own decree, because they say we've grown up or been in adherence with a cosmology that says if there is a God, it's something up in a cloud somewhere. And the gods say, well, God is all things, including your fingernails and the hair on your head and, you know, everything you see, God is all things. They say there's one note sung in the entire universe that's in manifestation is everything we see. Everything's in resonance or tone. So what they're doing is they're reclaiming the inherent divinity of form. And they say, if you don't get that the body is divine, and I've struggled with that my whole life, 
how can you truly know the divinity in the tree or the cloud or the ocean? Do you understand? They're all expressions of form. And they say, once you comprehend, I know what I am, you can begin to work with it. And then that's where you get into alchemy. And that's a trip. When they first brought the attunement through it at the Esalen Institute, where I was teaching, they put everybody out on the lawn and broke them up into teams, the ones and the twos. And they were claiming, I know what you are in truth. And then feeling the residual vibration come back to them. The guides call it the echo. They often teach it in workshops and anytime they, and it's a very simple teaching, basically what you bless blesses you back. What you claim the inherent divinity in will move to resonance with you. And that's often quite physical through this teaching. And also they say what you damn damns you back, which is what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. And that's the, the thick, dense experience we're all having here. Yeah, that seems like such the trap of the human experience, you know, the othering, the polarization, the when you realize the responsibility of actually doing that, like when you do that, you're saying they say that what you're damning damns you. So you end up in the same space of what you're creating. Yeah, exactly. Because that's the level of consciousness that you're claiming another in. So if you're aligned to that level of consciousness, that's what you get. I mean, they say who you put in darkness or what you put in darkness calls you to the darkness. It's really simple, you know. And one of the books in Book of Mastery, which you've read, which was, I think, their fourth book, there's an exercise in there. And they say, okay, so you're walking up a hill in this mountain and there's this cave and you walk into the cave and the one person you never want to see again as long <laughs> as you live is in this cave. And you get to walk them out of the cave because you put them there. <laughs> and because you put them there, they called you there with them. And that's a, it's a teaching of forgiveness, but primarily release. It's not about saying, okay, it was okay that you took all my money and ruined my life. <laughs> not okay. It's okay that they're who they are. You know, mm -hmm. they have the right to be. You can't extinguish the divinity in another, but you can deny it. And they say when you deny the divinity, which is the inherent spark in another human being, you've denied it in yourself. And that's the base. That's why forgiveness is important as they teach it. It's not about condoning poor behavior, but it is about liberating yourself from the condemnation because that condemnation anchors you in the lower field. That seems to be a common trap. Like I, I just look around and I think for myself too, it's so easy to, you know, in political dialogue or, or, you know, just the conversations of the world today. Yep. It's easy. I know too. But they also say that, you know, self-righteousness is always the small self. It's always the personality. And that, that gets me sometimes. They go, hey, there, I'm doing it again. You know, I mean, I'm not perfect. I have my biases and I, are things that outrage me and all of that. But I also understand that I'm the one who pays really for that. And also, you don't change a world by damning what you see. It's never solved anything. What you end up doing, unfortunately, is reinforcing the very thing you don't want because nothing's transformed that way. I mean, they said, they said this, and I think it was in the Book of Truth, is when they began this teaching, they said, you know, and this was, was published a few years ago now, that, you know, humanity is at a time of reckoning. And they talk about basically everything that was buried is going to get seen. So they say, if you got a body buried in the basement, it's going to stink up the whole house. <laughs> There's an excavation in the backyard 
what might come up as from three months ago or 3,000 years ago. And these things don't come up so we get to point fingers at them and blame them or shame them or make them wrong, which just sort of keeps them there. The reason these things get seen is so that they can be seen and brought to light. Based on the time of year and what's going on in the world, I am all about making sure that my immune system is operating at its best. I want to make sure that it is in tip-top shape so that whatever it might meet, it is able to fight off. And so one of the ways I do that is I use Organifi Immunity. It's 100% organic. It's got 500% of your recommended daily dose of vitamin C, and that vitamin C is sourced from organic cherries. It contains the immune-boosting power of ginger, turmeric, and also zinc. It is gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, vegan, all of those things. And as I said, 100% organic. And it also has a vegan source of D3 from lichen moss. And that provides 1,000 international units of vitamin C, which is 188% of our daily recommended dose. Vitamin D is so important to modulate innate and adaptive immunity. So if you're interested in giving your immune system a boost and a little bit of extra oomph in order to fight off what might come towards you this season, check out Organifi.com slash create the love. You get 20% off anything you order from there. They have such incredible products. I love them as a brand. I love them as a culture. I love them as a company. Go check them out now. When something is brought to light, it can be healed. You understand? So it's like when you turn the rock over and all the little squiggly verminy stuff is there. They want to scamper from the light. They've known themselves in darkness. That's what they've known. There are aspects of me and of you and of all of us that have been sort of reared in that, that need liberation. That's how healing occurs. And I think it's also happening at a, at a global level. You know, it's not like we just began realizing that racism is, is, is inherently wrong and harmful and deeply destructive, but we're faced with it now. And we're being faced with a lot of stuff again that has been present that we've not, I think, collectively been willing to look at transformation of. And I think that this is probably profoundly important and necessary and rarely comfortable because who wants to look at their stuff, you know, or their history or their culture's history, you know, or how we've treated people and, you know, all that, all that's up. Well, any space that requires that healing, but the what you said before, like when you reject something or damn it, then you can't change it. And I think so much of our own past and so much of our own experiences, our families or our cultures or whatever it might be, we do damn it or reject it or deny it. And then inevitably, how do you even receive the gifts of the lessons of those places or spaces? You know, I don't know. I mean, the, the people always say, well, you know, you, you're, you, you can't excuse something, you know, and I don't know that it's about that. I think that the guides say, this is how they put it. They talk about the upper room, which they say is a level of consciousness. And they say, you can't lift the evil man to the upper room because you have made him evil. So you're already aligning to him as evil as the basis and if that's where you're operating from, you're in coherence with that. It's a teaching of energetic accord. The guides used to say, and still do, A-C-C-O-R-D or A-C-H-O-R-D is on a piano, and they're making a point. This is about resonance and vibrational tone. So from the upper room, if you're holding the higher vibration, anyone and anything can be lifted, reseen, made new, 
reclaimed. This is, this, this is their language, which is actually an energetic act. It's not a moral judgment. It's not appeasing something. It's, it's really the re-seeing. I mean, the idea that if there is a God, it favors some over the others is, according to my guys, is completely ludicrous. It's not possible. You know, we're the ones that play those games of favoritism and class and haves and have-nots. And what we should aspire to is always not to be like those people who are suffering, you know. And we create systems that perpetuate suffering. And then we, we add, you know, it's like all this stuff. This is all our work to do on this plane, I suspect. You know, we're the ones that have to look at what we've created. And the guides say everything that was created in fear needs to be reseen, renown in a higher way. And part of what we're going to be experiencing, and they've been saying this for, you know, 12 years now, is uh, that the systems that we've come to expect to always be there would also have to be reseen and renown. And some of them may not do fare very well, you know, whether it be religious structures, economic structures, you know, political structures, all of those things, because everything has to finally be renowned in a higher way. And that's a messy process. And I think mostly the stuff that's been hidden in the dark comes flying out. And then we look at that and then we get confused. But, you know, like when you clean a house, if you ever really like deep cleaned your house, it looks a lot worse before it gets better. You know, <laughs> you start banging on the rugs and all the dust fills the room. The dust has always been there. Now you're just having to look at it. And I think we're getting to look at it. So that's how I see it. Beautiful. I'm curious, where do you, like when you talk about the guides and the guides being, you know, being able to see what's happening here, how do they sort of position or where are they from or all that kind of stuff? They're only called the guides because my ex years ago, when my ex found out I could do this, used to say, ask the guides this, ask the guides that. That's why they're called the guides. The name that they've given, when they've given a name, I say, if you wish to call us something, you, the name they've given is Melchizedek, which is a priesthood, and it's an old energy. It's an old teaching. It's in both the Old and New Testaments. I don't like getting caught up in names, truthfully. And there are other times in recent books, they've said they've spoken of themselves as the true self. And they, all, they use like the word true self and Christ at times interchangeably. So that's a level of consciousness and vibration. It's not a guy. They're teachers. You know, they say some of us have been informed, some of us have not. I don't necessarily get that this is an extraterrestrial thing, but, you know, they do talk about us as a species with some frequency, you know, and they're not in form. They say they actually have to lower their vibration to be able to work through me. You know, I can't hold the vastness of what they are. So I'm, I've been worked with over years, I think, to allow what I do to happen. But they're sort of operating beyond us, but they know us. And they say, you know, at times they've been us. And um, there used to be a favorite definition of them. Oh, yeah, this is what they used to say. And I loved it. When people would say, who are, who are you? They would say, we are who you become when you know who you are. Mm, I always thought beautiful. was really lovely and encouraging. Yeah, it's almost like you're tapping into consciousness that doesn't have a label. Like at that level, it's it's actually just collective wisdom and consciousness and direction that you're 
in a way, alchemizing into text for us. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, that's their work. You know, their language, they say, is encoded. The books are energetic transmissions. The, the language in the books provides an intellectual context for the reader, so you don't think you're going nuts. But, you know, when the first book came out, there was no press, no, but no publicists, no, you know, no reviews. I mean, I think, they, I, I, think I made $5,000 for the first book, and I was very happy to receive it. You know, I was just shy. I was thrilled. I mean, the guy had said after it was written, said, this is going to be published and it's going to be the first publisher that reads it and don't haggle. And that's exactly what happened. But when the first book came out, people started leaving these reviews on Amazon and they were saying, I'm reading this book and my body's vibrating. I'm reading this book and I'm seeing auras. My favorite was, I'm reading this book and my husband is changing. I thought that was <laughs> It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline everyone listening, I'm sure they'll be quite excited about that. Well, it was just, you know, it would, what, what people were responding to was that the book was a transmission, that they were in a dialogue with at a whole level that was sort of beyond the words. And all of the books operate that way, according to them, and they're consistent. So, yeah, I don't think, I think the names are for us. You know, when people start saying, well, I'm channeling the, the this one and the that one, and, you know, I think, well, okay, that's a level, and names are useful. You know, I, I like to know my neighbor's name is, so I can call out to them across the road if I want to. But um, the names are, are, are useful, but I think we're working with something that's kind of greater when it is consciousness, you know. It's almost like as humans, we have this desire to go back to the, like, I know who I am, but trying to put like Mark on the label, as opposed to allowing the vastness of no title like guide or there is a resonance to, I mean, I said that at the very beginning, because even every time I say, and I remember after reading mastery and then truth, and I listened to them pretty much right after the other, because I was, I was in a, I was very, I was in it, you know, I was like right in the zone. And when I read those words, there is a vibrational sense. And how do people though, because I'm sure for someone listening, they're like, I don't even know how to make that connection, like words, vibration, how will I, how do you, how do people, I guess, tap more into resonance or more into this space that you're, you're speaking of? I mean, I start, what, what changed my life, one of the things that changed my life early on was when I could feel energy and when I studied healing and I'd had a big experience of energy that people said sounded like a Kundalini awakening. I don't know what it was when I was 25 and it was, it was a very physical experience. And I started seeing little lights around people after that. And that was my being the beginning of the opening and my whole life was going to fall apart for the next four years. So it was a good, good news that I had some experiences to give me a little bit of faith to get through that. But when I began to be able to feel energy, everything changed because you can't refute that. I can dismiss what I'm hearing, but I can't necessarily dismiss what I was feeling. And when I was doing this first group in my apartment, and I was an NYU teacher during all these years, I wasn't looking to be known for this work. I wasn't strategizing my career. I was just into it. 
And we all felt the energy and we could all compare notes. It helped me to trust it. The attunements are palpable for most people. So I remember doing a an event in Chicago once in a theater, and it was like they would just bring a different sort of psychic every week to talk. These people, most of these people didn't really know my work, but the guides, because they always do attune the entire audience. I mean, it's 300 people. They attune them. And, I, and the, the question is always, how many of you could feel this? And 300 people raise their hands. So it gives you, the attunements give people an opportunity for something experiential. When they're beginning to have the experience of it, they don't have to defer. I don't want anybody to defer to me. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a spiritual teacher. I'm not a guru. I taught playwriting at NYU for 100 years and was an, was an admin at another college. So I don't want that baggage. But if you can have your own experience with this, then you can move into your own knowing. And the guides say when you truly know something, there's never a question attached. Not everybody who reads the books or comes to a workshop feels the energy. And I found, interestingly enough, that those are often the people that are the most sensitive that have developed the most protection because it was hard. You know, I'm super sensitive. I drank too much. I smoked four packs a day. I'm not eating too much anymore, which is amazing because I've done that too most of my life. But I'll do anything to buffer my sensitivity and with and then it was useful i checked out in many ways from from what i could do and experience so many people are surprised when this happens how does this happen the guides say it's it's like um the attunements work like coordinates like if you go play a jukebox and you play d4 and it's always going to be led zeppelin you know you play the attunement and you're always going to get the same level of experience. Actually, the experience escalates as you get used to it and it becomes more normal and then it has to accelerate and it often does. And that's what's happening as people develop. But how does it work? I'm going to ask them because it's present. They're saying the energy is present in a language and it works beyond time. In one of the books, the guide said, you know, if you're reading this book and you, um, you're you confused about anything, ask. Because they said, as we're dictating the book through Paul, we're also with you as you're reading it. And then people started writing, you know, I asked a question on page three. It was answered on page four. And a lot of people go back and they said, you know, I'm reading. I, this is the third time I've read this book. It's a completely different book. Ah, oh, that's amazing. happening. Well, that's what people say. I don't read the books. <laughs> you know, I do the audio book. That's when I really hear the whole thing. I just did the audio book for the book that's coming out next. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. It's really different from the others. I was quite excited by much of what they were saying. But while the, while the, the dictation is happening, I'm just so overloaded. The last thing I want to do is hear or read it. So I have a really wonderful woman who proofs the transcripts against the recordings and asks me questions. But I often don't really sit and read the book until it's ready to come out because um, I'm having to do the audiobook and that's all. So while you're in the transmission, are you conscious of the transmission? Are you more just trying yeah. to keep up? I'm trying to keep up. I'm conscious. The less conscious I am, the better, truthfully. I, I say it, it's like, it's like what I do in some ways is like crawl into the back seat of the car and turn the steering over to the guides. 
And I'm in that, they'll often tell me, like, go read a magazine, you know, go occupy yourself. And the first book, they tell me to go sit in the outhouse. It was really a little mildly mortifying. Well, take a magazine and go out to the shed. That's what they said. And let us continue. And, um, <laughs> and I'm fine with that. But when they are saying something, like if, I, if they're doing a dictation, they were to say, you know, the moon is really made of green cheese, I would perk up because I'm hearing it as I'm saying it. I'm just not listening carefully. I might say, wait a minute, wait a minute. And then I'm like poking my head into the front seat. And then they'll say, Paul is, Paul is interrupting. I've or heard Paul that. Question. The very first book, they didn't do that because we were just learning how to work together, I think, at this level. So uh, there's one line in the very first book when they, the guide say, in the very beginning, they say, this is not a book that's been written before. And I piped in mentally. I didn't say it aloud. What about A Course in Miracles? And the guide said, well, this is not A Course in Miracles. And they were answering my question, but it wound up in the book. So without the question, people went, why are the guides talking about this, which is a perfectly reasonable question. And in other books, well, they, they actually got very good at anticipating my questions before I asked them. So now, and I think that's because one book got completely restructured because I interrupted so much. And I, there was a chapter that they intended to write on principles that began, you know, very well. And then somebody made too much noise and I panicked. And it, anyway, that's that was... Um, there's a whole chapter where they end up talking about my fear and my need to control things, which was not meant to be in the book. They said, yes, leave it in the book. This is Yeah, because of course it's perfect, you know, for the person well, who needs it. Whatever is there is there. But I've kind of learned that now when they say Paul has a question, they're often, and this is only in book dictations, because they're very, the book dictations, they're, they come super prepared. Like I'm literally sitting there as if somebody's just feeding me something that's prepared. You know, it's, there's not, it's interesting. It's a little different than just lecturing, which at times feels slightly more, slightly more extemporaneous, but not always. But they'll say now in the books, Paul had, Paul, Paul has a question and I'm thinking, well, I would just, I was about to form a question. I hadn't quite thought it and then you can tell because they use that they're they're saying paul is interrupting and they'll explain my interruption but it's in their language which i find amusing because my language is different so like if they say paul is interrupting what if i and my fellows are going on a journey and the, you know the <laughs> yeah. and i'm thinking oh really that's what i'm saying but what they are doing is taking the essence of what I would have objected to or was about to try to form us and, and give it out in a way that will allow them to continue steering the text and not sort of take it out of their, their intention. And, you know, at times they'll take the question and just go right back and it's fine. And we include some questions in the books that are asked by students who were present, you know, for the dictation, because all the books are done publicly now, either, in a small group that I convened online. And that's only because I'm not traveling as I used to be. They all used to be dictated in front of audiences of, you know, at the Esalen Institute or weekend workshops. And they'd say at the end of the lecture, this is in the text, which is how I would know, you know. I've really appreciated when the questions are included or when your own thoughts are in there, because I find often your question or your thought, and this is probably because time isn't real and I'm asking it too, but I, I find it's a question that I have or a clarifying thing that I'm seeking. 
so you do it all in real time on i mean that to i think to anyone listening who's not experienced it it really is quite something i'm curious if um you'd be open to sharing if they have anything to share or if there's an opportunity for people to hear just so they can feel the resonance of well, it you know once i was doing a book signing this is early on some bookstore in Asheville. It's a really nice bookstore. And I just, well, you know, I don't usually channel at book signings. No, I do. But in those days, I really didn't. You just talk. And somebody raised their hand and said, well, the guides come through with a message for us. And they said, we are not the entertainment. That was their <laughs> message. I mean, and that's that was a good it. answer. I like it. So, let me see. They're saying, yes, we would like to say two things. The ideas of who you are. The ideas of who you are and what are being altered now are what are being altered now. And you're all in participation. And you're all in participation, too. And there's one to know it, whether or not you know it. What you believe is always so. What you believe is always so is soon to be rendered other. Is soon to be rendered other. Your idea who you have been, your idea of who you have been informed by an old status quo, informed by an old status quo is about to be altered strategically, is about to be altered strategically. They're saying in a strategic way, you're beginning to question who you have been. You're beginning to question who you have been as the new road is appearing for you, as the new road is appearing for you. This is a requirement for humanity at this time. This is a requirement for humanity at this time. You cannot go on as you have been. You cannot go on as you have been and ignore what is before you and ignore what is before you. The opportunity here is change. The opportunity here is change, and all change must be seen as productive, and all change must be seen as productive even in the moment. Even if it doesn't feel that way at the moment, you encounter it, you encounter it. Humanity has said yes. Humanity has said yes to a new way of being, to a new way of being. The process has not only begun, the process has not only begun, it is underway, it is underway. Is that the two things? One more thing, please. One more thing, please. Don't listen to fear. Don't listen to fear. Fear is a poor teacher. Fear is a poor teacher. Don't navigate your landscape through fear. Don't navigate your landscape through fear. You will fall off the cliff you've come to. You will fall off the cliff you have come to, which is the action of fear, which is the action of fear. The action of fear is to claim more fear. The action of fear is to claim more fear. Do not act upon it. Do not enact upon it, period. In the same period. Wow. Feels very apropos for me, and I think probably for everyone listening. I don't know. I mean, if people haven't heard me do this before, I whisper the words as they come and I repeat. You know, sometimes it's a mile a minute and it's nuts. And I sometimes wish I could sit there elegantly and say, the future before, you know, it's just, it's just it's not <laughs> right. happening. Maybe one day, but it's been a long time. I do it directly sometimes. When I do it directly, I actually don't remember anything, and that's frightening. It's just like... Wow. So when you're just lecturing it without the stopping and repeating? I just know that I'm speaking. I I hear what I'm saying, but I don't... What happens, the whisper is the transmission, the repetition. It's always like, if you can imagine, like ticker tape, it's like that. One thing, the next thing, the next thing. When it's direct, it all becomes sound to me. You know, there's there was a recording done in Mexico a few years ago of me channeling. And at the end of the lecture, I was just making vowel sounds. You know, I the language just stopped. It just became tone. It was freaky. Wow. And there's actually, I didn't know this at the time, there's a Gnostic text um, in the Gnostic Gospels, you know, where there's a lecture, there's a teaching that begins that way and ends with ah, oh, e. It's like the same thing. I went, okay, well... I guess this is what happens sometimes. So 
I prefer to have a little bit of awareness of what's coming through. And I have very, I, I have a, I, I retain a third of it now. That's about it of what comes through me when it's direct, pretty much this much. I, I'll understand unless I hear it back. Yeah. It's almost like the basis or the breakdown to vowels is like just at the construct of language. Like it's just touching the edges of language. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember hearing that a book is written in the vibration that it's encoded. So you don't even need to understand it. Yeah. The intent of the author I hear is present energetically in every book ever written. So it's not just a channel book. The channel book is working with the energy in a more conscious way. But if you're going to go read Wuthering Heights or something, you're going to move into the energy of the Bronte that wrote it, you know, and that level of consciousness and that imagination. I mean, it's, you know, I think we get fed so much now visually and we're told to feel so often by, you know, how things are, are, are packaged or addressed that we forget that we can have this whole other experience through ourselves, you know, without the label or the agenda. So books are good for that. Beautiful. Well, Thank you so much for your time and for sharing. And I'm curious for everyone listening, where can they go get more from you and, and the guides? Well, my website's the best place, which is just paulselig.com, P-A-U-L-S-E-L-I-G.com. I do a lot of events. A lot of them are online. I do a monthly channeled intensive, which, you know, it's two hours a day. I just finished one. I'm finishing one today, actually, later today. And I do every Wednesday almost, I'm lecturing. So there's an ongoing Wednesday class that people can sign up for if they want in live events. I'll be at the Omega Institute in New York in a couple of weeks in June and um, Costa Rica a couple of times in the coming year and Maui, um, which is where I live. I'll be doing a, a retreat here next spring and Berkeley, California I've got, and Boone, North Carolina. Those are both coming up in August. So there's opportunities to work with the guides in person and live events. And I hear it's just as palpable when you work online too. Beautiful. Okay. We'll make sure all those links are in the show notes and thanks again for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.